0: You are listening to Analyze Asia with Bernard Leung, the podcast dedicated to interview thought leaders and industry players to understand and dissect the pulse of technology, media and business in Asia. The show is sponsored by Ideal Workspace, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. You can visit their website, idealworkspace.com. Hi, Samir. Hi, Bernard. How are you in London?
1: I'm doing great.
0: You started your role in App recently. So have you yeah. settled in well in London?
1: Yeah, it's been about three months. It's been a great transition. It's also been, a great, uh, been great that uh, this transition was in winter. So I got to experience that right off the bat. It's really been a great experience of so both professionally and personally.
0: I think this is the period where it's the bank holidays. So I'm able to get you on the show this week.
1: Yeah. <laughs> i've probably worked one day in the last maybe
0: 10 days i guess since we last spoken a lot of things have happened i'm also very apologetic about the third episode because we missed out some piece which unfortunately due to some audio constraints i couldn't get it in which was our conversation on uber
1: Uh, that's fine that now we get to discuss that and a few other topics about about uber right
0: yes i think we also have a couple of very interesting discussions on xiaomi and article by benedict evans and but we want to sort of focus a little bit on how asia is going to look at those new questions in mobile i think let's start on uber i kind of looked at uber recently they have raised i think about a billion dollars at about u.s 40 billion valuation and they have some troubles particularly in your home country India (laughs) and a couple of countries like South Korea have banned them now in fact they even held the CEO Travis Kalanick to be summoned to the court I think the first question is I know you have this very interesting argument about self-driving cars and Uber Mm -hmm. and I sort of I'll, I'll set it up first and then I want you to sort of give me the counter argument of that so okay. a lot of pundits in the tech industry thought of Uber and Google as complementary when Google Ventures invested into Uber because Google has self-driving cars and the, mm-hmm. the whole premise is that the best situation Uber will ever get is that they have no taxi drivers or no human drivers. If everything mm-hmm. is self-automated, they will have the most optimized supply and demand matching fleets in the world. And that is their real competitive advantage. You saw it differently, so I wanted to sort of get your argument and then we can go about and see where we are.
1: Alright, so here's uh, the way I see it. Uh, When I look at Uber, I look at them as a platform that connects suppliers and customers. In this case, suppliers would be drivers. Uh, Their business model entirely depends on the fact that they have no capex. So they don't own any of those cars, they don't operate any of those cars. All they do is connect one side to the other. They're, They're a marketplace. When you look at self-driving cars as a concept and and try to combine these two, it creates a problem. If Uber were to move to self-driving cars, who takes ownership of those cars? So if Uber were to buy those cars, their business model doesn't work anymore because all of a sudden it becomes a completely high capex model and they become just another taxi company really. They're not very different from it. They may be a little more high tech, but from a business model perspective, they just become another taxi company. From Google's perspective though, Even though they're both doing self-driving cars and they've invested in in Uber through Google Ventures, it really seems like that investment in Uber is a hedge against self-driving cars. Self-driving cars, they've faced a lot of regulatory problems so far. Google's also trying to wrap up partners because they don't want to manufacture the cars themselves. There's a lot of roadblocks there. But their goal with self-driving cars is to make sure that the world has a sort of ongoing, on-demand, easy-to-use public transportation system, which is just self-driving cars zipping around the city. The reason for that is if people aren't spending time driving, they have more time to look at online services, gives Google more eyeballs, more advertising revenue, etc., etc. Uber accomplishes something very, very similar, except with human drive. So, in my opinion, that investment is a hedge against self-driving cars not working out.
0: But the argument is based on the fact that neither Google or Uber wants to own the self-driving cars, right? Yes. yes, But what if one of them owns?
1: No, that's kind of a bit of a a a problem. So Google's already said that they don't want to, the head of the self-driving cars project has stated that they're out looking for partners because they don't want to be manufacturing the cars themselves. Google sees self-driving cars as more of a platform an Android for cars if you will. On Uber's side, it's a business model problem. It could still work if there are small companies that are willing to take ownership of these cars and then put them on Uber. So in which say, case, it's a lot like operating real estate. So where you buy a couple of apartments and let's say you put it on Airbnb. So if you have those kind of supply, then it could still work. But it's still a bit of a challenge because you might not have the same scale of supply as you do currently. So even if self-driving cars eventually make their way to uber it might be a small sliver of their overall supply
0: but the danger is that what if fedex and ups actually get the self-driving cars from google so they can provide their fleets and then basically put the self-driving car algorithms inside their fleets
1: they can again for for uber it's a business model problem right at that point their existing business model doesn't work so they need to find a new business model for for monetizing those self-driving cars i think the only way that's going to happen is if someone treats self-driving cars as real estate.
0: So you mean there could be a possibility for another startup?
1: It's possible, but it's difficult to say at this point, it's it's very, very early, it's hard to visualize what the scale of that startup is going to be. Hmm.
0: So I know you've been observing the space and there are some arguments that one predictions that pundits have made over for 2015 is that Google will acquire Uber. That's
1: an interesting one. It's also a little hard to see. So as you said, Uber is valued at about $40 $40 billion today. Google has about $50 billion in cash. A, I find it really hard to see Google taking on loads of debt to acquire a company like Uber, especially when Google has multiple projects to fund. They need to fund Google X Labs, they need to fund Google Ventures, and apart from their existing businesses and startups within Google, right, little startup services, I really find it hard to believe that they're gonna blow all their cash on a single company like Google. Correct, and their current market cap is
0: about $350 billion and yeah. they, have to ev- they have to fund their existing business even for yeah. YouTube expansion, yeah. Android, and yeah, Chrome. Yeah, there, there are a lot
1: of areas that Google, Google's currently interested in and they, I, I doubt they're going to shelve all of them just for quite open.
0: Right, and there was an interesting article recently on Business Insider. Google is the common enemy of all the other tech companies now.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I did notice that. And that really speaks to the number of areas Google is is getting involved in it's really interesting how they're sort of pushing their business model forward so it really seems like they're getting into every area of tech in a way subsidizing it in order to push their core business model forward which is advertising but
0: i want to discuss with you another company that has some business with google given that they have already taken two executives out of google to join them and that's xiaomi yes. i know you are a serious watcher of xiaomi I get. let me just give some numbers first and then We'll get into a discussion a little bit on Xiaomi in this quarter and the recent round that they just raised So I think the first is that I think they have a total of 12 billion in annual sales And they have done I think 18 mil in Q3 and 17 mil in Q4 which I think this is a decrease this quarter and there is about 61.2 million smartphones sold and I think they have been ramping out on Southeast Asia and India I think they have some problems going into the India market You've been a Xiaomi watcher, what's your take on that so far?
1: The first thing we need to point out is that they they have seen a quarter and quarter sales decline in terms of sales volume from Q3 to Q4 and that's their first decline till date They've had a very very steep ramp up so far but the most interesting part about that decline is that they just closed their round of funding last week where they were valued at 45 billion dollars so most of those discussions happened in the second half of that quarter, and investors, those investors clearly had full visibility into the fact that there was a sales decline this quarter, and the company was still valued at 45 billion. So clearly they're seeing something that beyond just these numbers, and I think that's very interesting. That's the most interesting part about these numbers. And the second part is. You've up the fact that there's two Google workers at, at Xiaomi. You have, I think, Lin Bin and Hyo Gubara. So I think one of the things that has spawned is a Xiaomi thinks like a consumer tech company that's on the services side and not necessarily as a company as a hardware company. I think culturally that's a bit built up. The fact that they see their business model as being something beyond just hardware.
0: I'm a bit mystified by Xiaomi's positioning that at times they look like a consumer electronics company like Apple. They aspire to do great hardware, great software integration. Unlike Samsung they have the advantage on software given I think Hugo Barra and Ben will probably have the knowledge of Android's roadmap for the next one to two years. I won't say more than beyond that because uh, I'm sure Sundar Pichai The current head of Android would have done some changes in terms of the roadmap on where Android should be going. And then at some time, they claim to be, they look like Amazon, which is a platform company Mm -hmm. where they do very strong content distribution. Sometimes they also behave like a a consumer electronics integrated with software software. They do things like, you know, air purifiers and fitness band. Given this new round of a billion investment with uh, such a high valuation, which of these models do you see them going to?
1: In all honesty, they are every single one of those, but their core business model is probably closer to, closer to Amazon. I just came across a very interesting post by Mark, Michael Vakulenko from Vision Mobile where he argues that Xiaomi is, is an e-commerce company and... It it does make a lot of sense. They start out by selling phones through their own website, through their uh, social media channels. But then they've expanded it into, they, they want to create a hardware ecosystem of 100 startups. And they want to try and sell those probably on their website or bundle them with devices. And they're also doing uh, you know smart TVs, air purifiers, as you mentioned, and, and, and many other different things. One of the things we had, when I worked with Vision Mobile briefly last year on a, on a research project, we one of our suggestions was that Xiaomi's biz, business model is to use hardware as a distribution model. They definitely are doing consumer electronics, but they're using that as a distribution channel for a secondary platform on, on the top, if you will. You get these devices into consumers' hands, and all of a sudden they have access to your store selling smart TVs, fitness bands other hardware from startups you've invested into more importantly higher margin digital content they're already investing into a digital content business they're clearly very very interested in smart TVs where you still don't have a dominant platform or anything like that so that seems to me uh, seems to be the direction in which they're going and and that kind of suggest what that 45 billion dollar valuation is all about it's not just about phone hardware
0: you think that the smartphone business is going to go into saturation and i think that because of the wearable space on the internet of things the other platforms like tvs air purifiers the fitness bands those are where the future of xiaomi would go to no i
1: will not go that far. Mm. So to me, those are complementary devices that they also sell on, let's say through their e-commerce platform. Smart TVs could, of course, at some point, if they can get the interaction model, right, be a big direction to go in. I think we will talk more about, about that in a, in a, in a second. But uh, when, we, when we look at Internet of Things and wearables, that could be one of many, many different things. right? Mm-hmm. So, ben, ben Evans recently said that counting the number of uh, IoT devices is a lot like counting the number of electric motors in, in, in cars, it doesn't really matter, it's just an endpoint. right? What really matters is the fact that you have a seamless experience on a platform or, or software interaction through apps across various categories of devices. Where Maybe it becomes seamless. We have to get to the point where wearables are a, a mass market business and we've, right now it's difficult to say. But going back to smart TVs, right, there was an interesting rumor lately that Xiaomi was tinkering around with Firefox OS. Uh, if you look at it from the smartphone business, is is a little puzzling because they've had a lot of success building on, on top of Android and to me it's very, very clear that they're not going to go away from Google services outside of China because Xiaomi is focused on building a secondary platform. They have no reason to go. Take away Google services and then face all the challenges that come with AOSP, trying to find Google API replacements, etc., etc. But when we, when we look at Firefox OS, it, it is a completely web-driven OS. When I look at smart TVs, the interaction model today, when we when we're comparing web and the apps, it really seems to be more web-driven than app-driven, at least intuitively, because when you're trying to watch content, it doesn't matter what app the content is from, whether it's from Netflix or Hulu or whatever else. You probably just want to watch Game of Thrones or House of Cards. You, it, uh, that should be front and center. It's possible that that's what they're trying to do with Firefox OS.
0: So you think that they do not want to actually go away from their dependency on the Google Android for the rest of the world, but they are just using Firefox OS for a different purpose, but still locked within their kind of front-end look and feel. Yeah, view?
1: the second possibility is that the investors wanted Xiaomi to have a hedge in case Google goes a different way with Android. But to me, the the first one is pr- is probably more compelling.
0: I want to challenge the hatch in a different way. The thing is that Google is also going in that direction with Android and Chrome. I mean if you look at the latest version I think a uh, lot L which is the Android L you are finding that the layer segregation between the web and the native app layer is beginning to diffuse. I mean if Google that's cannibalized that's itself that's and decided that hey we should start doing a managed transition to get rid of the native app model and basically start going down on prices and say, hey, we're going to do 20% Google App Store, 80% app developers to basically force the price down against Apple and slowly break it down. So they can actually make that transition into the web app layer very quickly. Is is that a possibility? Because I, I kind of have this theory that Google will go in that direction because their main business is not the App Store ecosystem.
1: I have a different take on that. To me, it's going to be very, very difficult to accomplish because right now, app install advertising has become at least a very significant chunk of the mobile advertising pie and it's something Google has just started implementing in YouTube and Google search. Right. So one of the most obvious places where they haven't implemented it is the Google Play Store. So you still see no advertising for apps within the Google Play Store and I think that's going to be the next step for them. In order to push their business model forward, I think native apps actually help that because the app ecosystem has become so large, it's such a huge business because that they need an advertising channel, an obvious advertising channel, and and Google being one of the largest online advertisers in the world still hasn't gone aggressively in there. And right now Facebook is probably the leader there. Right? And, I, and I think that's Google's next big business venture.
0: But here's where the web app layer becomes good for Google because they are already indexing everything in the web app layer and desktop. So if they go to the web app layer, in mobile, mm-hmm. Basically, it will make iOS uh, useless because people will gear away from that. That means the developers will have their own payment systems. They basically will get all the monetization. I mean, the distribution layer, that's left for us to debate. I mean, depending on whether the world will go messaging app layer, whether they want to go to the browser layer, whether they want to go into, you know, Internet of Things. It's actually beneficial for them to actually go into web OS with Chrome.
1: There are some disadvantages with that. So one of the ways that Google uh, ensures that their services are are on all Google phones is through the Google service Play Services API, right? So right now, about 99% of all active Android devices support Google Play Services. What Google has been doing over time is, and Vision Mobile is the first firm to to have noticed this. So credit to them, is they've been pulling core APIs out from. Uh, open source android into google play services api uh, into google play services which is licensed Uh, let's say you want uh, an app developer wants to have location so he needs to get that from the google play services api so if you have a phone that is not compatible an android phone that's not compatible with google play services you need to create your own api replacements and then the developer then needs to build a custom version of that app specifically for your fork in that way making a fork of android becomes very very unattractive because for a developer it doesn't make sense to make a custom version of his app for a very very small audience, that's right. it does not make any sense.
0: Right? But,
1: that, but when right. you move to the web, but even when, when you move mm. to the web, uh, the there are since there's no native APIs, there's no lock in to, to Google Play services at that, to Google Play at that point, right? Mm. So they're giving up a lot of control if they move to that web layer, which is not to say that Google's not interested in the web. Uh, I think you made a very good point that in that Google's tried to make the web and apps at the same level to give them sort of equal footing in the new OS. right? So I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to push both interaction models. So in my opinion what's going to happen is when you as a consumer when you have frequent interactions with one particular service that's when you're you're likely to have an app from that uh, service installed on your phone. When you have infrequent interactions that's probably when you're going to go to the mobile web. I don't see it as one way or the other. I think it's going to be a balance where, we, where both interaction mod- models are going to continue to exist.
0: Okay, I, I wanted to go back to one part of, of that uh, points that you have just raised. One of them is that forking Android is getting more and more difficult. Yeah. And the only yeah. reason why Xiaomi is successful is because the Google services web services are totally decapitated in China. So they are able to strip it out and put in the APIs for WeChat, for Weibo, or the equivalent of facebook twitter those yeah. services that get banned once xiaomi goes out they are like any other android oem they are at uh-huh. the mercy of google if they are in such a situation i mean wouldn't they do what samsung would do i think they are studying samsung very closely because samsung did exactly that they, they tried to win themselves off android by doing tizen and it's not working, well, but they have software uh, capability.
1: I, I think there's very there's two very different companies at play here, right? Mm. So Samsung's business model is purely hardware. So for them, the platform is effectively a differentiator, and that's completely been wiped out because low cost Android OEMs have become so good at, the, at their software they're just as good as Samsung, which is who's not very good at software. On the other hand, you have Xiaomi that's using hardware as a distribution model. So to them, being commoditized kind of plays into into the market. What they need. They've done a really good job with their brand branding and, and marketing pitch, and they've done a really good job with their custom layer of Android called MIUI. So that creates some differentiation in that they get noticed. But I don't think they want to wean themselves off a of Google service. There's two reasons for this. Right? One is what I call the prisoner's dilemma in the OEM space. The second is the API situation I just explained. So the moment they, the Xiaomi made, a, made it a point to point out that they're a compatible folk, that even though they're a fork of Android, they, are, they remain compatible with Google services. And I think there is a very good reason for that. So if they move Google services off, if they're not compatible with Google Play services outside China, all of a sudden developers need to build apps specifically for Xiaomi phones. And how many Xiaomi phones are there outside of China today? Not enough for developers to make that commitment. So all of a sudden their app situation look, be, uh, begins looking very, very weak. Right. And on the other side, you have the, because the market is commoditized, the OEMs are very, very, very competitive at this point. So Huawei and Micromax have both begun copying Xiaomi's distribution model, selling phones completely at cost with very little marketing completely on social media or, or e-commerce. And the moment Xiaomi pulls Google services off their phone in India or Southeast Asia or any one of those other markets, the first thing Huawei and Micromax are going to do is put out ads lampooning my, uh, Xiaomi for their lack of app. And that's something Xiaomi does not want and that's something they cannot afford at this point, especially with the recent valuation. So I think it's very, very important for them to hold on to Google services and continue building their platform over the top of it. But
0: would that end up becoming another Google OEM?
1: Not necessarily. So the, the fact that they have their own meta platform on, on top. So to me, Xiaomi is something like WeChat. So WeChat is a, is a messaging app. There are a lot of messaging apps. So we WeChat has a platform over th- on top of it, right? They have app developers connected to them, but but more importantly, they have uh, retailers connected to them in term, and they have a pretty huge e commerce uh, e commerce platform on there. I think that's what Xiaomi is trying to do.
0: Right. So they will try to put in sort of another layer. It's, it's what Facebook couldn't do with Android. You know, remember remember the failure of Facebook yes. Home. It's, yes. It's yes. exactly what Xiaomi is doing. Basically, yes. they they put their front end layer. And basically lock the user into their content and media services but they don't get held to google all the time
1: oh, i think it overseas they don't want to be pushing the app distribution business too much because from a vc perspective as well app distribution sent in one of the lowest returns compared to every other sub-sector in, in technology right? so i think that's what they're trying to push is e-commerce and and video content i think that's those are the two biggest areas for them so what about the last bit last
0: piece that we want to talk about any interesting last things that we want to talk about xiaomi
1: just about the interaction model on smart TVs. i think if, if firefox os is the way they're going the web versus app debate begins looking very very different on the tv versus the smartphone
0: you know that google glass is also using the same kind of firefox os model in terms of interaction
1: and engagement right true and but i think that's again a different reason for that right on tv it's because Content is important. You you really care about what you're watching. Yeah. On Google, Google Glass, it's because the, the, your interactions are so brief. It doesn't really make sense to have a full-fledged app, app out there. And I, This might make sense for wearables as well for smartwatches. You're not going to have a mm. two-minute interaction on your wrist or on your, on your glasses, right? You're mm. going to have five-second, ten-second interaction. In that sense, does it make sense to have full-fledged apps? I'm not sure. Does it make sense to have app extensions? Most
0: of the app so extensions app. at the moment are written with the... Smartphone as a conduit. So whether you're yeah. looking at the Android Wear or you're looking at the Apple watch yeah. API yeah. Watch API is the same
1: I think the interaction model on wearables is, is very very difficult to figure out right now because it's It's really hard to see how people Are going to be using them and to even understand if this is a mass market category or not we, we don't know what the primary use cases is. But the thing I've heard most often about wearables is that it gives you access to your notifications on your wrist which is great for you and me because we're tech early adopters we're very connected to our devices but that's uh, is that going to be the average person on the street i'm not sure
0: you know i'm actually thinking of even taking off notifications off my watch can you just imagine the amount of tactile notifications you're going to get with twitter notifications facebook yeah. notifications whatsapp notifications and we yeah. notifications
1: Th- that's going to be annoying yes on, on your phone at least you have the option of putting it in your pocket I think maybe Apple Watch is, is going a different way where you enable notifications from a phone, but still from a mass market user's perspective, I, I I don't see what the primary use case is today. Maybe developers will discover that use case over time, but as of today, it's not clear.
0: I mean they're leaving the developers to decide what the watch is going to be like, what they did with the iPad, right? So we will have to watch. I mean rumors are already saying that they're coming out in January. So it's pretty soon.
1: I know that the iPad argument is used a lot, but I'm not sure about that. Right? So when Steve Jobs announced the iPad, he was on stage, sitting on a couch, holding an iPad. Right? And it was a very, very clear pitch for him that an iPad is a lean back device. You sit at home, you lean back, you browse the web, you watch videos. So there was a fairly clear use case there. What was not clear was that if people were go- if that was going to be compelling for- enough for people to-, to use that instead of a laptop and the user interface clearly clearly did make it compelling. When Tim Cook announced the Apple Watch, he said this is the most personal device Apple has ever made, which to me is still an unclear use case. Okay, great, it's personal, but what do you use it for? I don't know the answer to that yet.
0: Which is why they brought in all these fashion people from LVMH, to help them to figure it out, right?
1: That's definitely going to figure out how Apple is going to position itself. When we had this discussion last time, right? we think Apple is going to go into that luxury space for sure. But then if people are just going to be using it as a luxury device, then is it really a computer? Those are all questions we need to keep asking ourselves now. So does Apple become a fashion company? We don't know. So this is where we are
0: going to have the biggest conversation today. We're going to talk about new questions in mobile it started with benedict evans from anderson horowitz who declared that the mobile platform wars are over so there are two men standing ios and android Mm -hmm. and what is the new world going to look like and i think there are five questions on it and i'm going to just briefly summarize the first one is what's going to happen to the android oems what's going to be google's vision for android Then there is the layers of interaction and shifting layers of the way how users are going to do app discovery and app interactions. And then there is the scale. And then there is the wearables issue. Where are the endpoints uh, delivering services through the cloud through the wearables? I know you wrote something on it. I'm going to let you start first. (laughs) And we will just have this debate.
1: I I wrote only about about three points. I thought the the engagement model were, were pretty good. But I thought there was more to add on on three of those points. We've talked a little bit about these before, but maybe we can go a little bit deeper. So the first one is, what is Android going to be? So again, one of the very popular arguments among tech watchers is that AOSP is very, very large in China. And therefore, these OEMs are, because they cannot differentiate on Google services, they are going to fork Android and uh, Xiaomi in particular is, is is the company everyone talks about. And they're going to go their own way and use their own app stores and own ecosystem on it. So my biggest argument against this is, uh, uh, there's an economic concept called the prisoner's dilemma. Basically what the prisoner's dilemma is, is the fact that assuming two criminals are caught, they're accomplices, and they're being interrogated separately. The cop tells one of them that if he betrays the other and and confesses, he goes free and the other one gets a 20-year jail sentence. If both of them confess, they get a five-year, they each get a five-year term in prison. But if both stay silent, they get a one-year term. So the best solution for both of them is to say stay silent and just get off with with a one-year jail term. But individually for each of them, the best option is to confess and hope the other one does not and walk out. Because any self-interested party typically tries to get the best outcome for themselves. In pretty much every case, they both confess and they both go to jail for five years, which is not really a great industry situation. So I think that's what Android OEMs today are are facing. It would benefit the industry if everybody forked Android and created their own little app ecosystem, or whatever, so they could differentiate. And the overall profits in the hardware space would definitely go. up. But the threat of one company forking Android and going one way and everyone else staying with Google and advertising the fact that these guys don't have an ecosystem is too great. You're going to end up in a situation where nobody forks Android because it's too dangerous to do so. And on top of this, you have the fact that anytime you fork Android, you have to, go to create your own APIs to replace Google Play services. And hope developers come over you're never going to have as one oem today you're never going to have enough users on a new platform based on android for for it to justify the investment to customize apps to your platform so there's the that's the Android oem question basically yeah,
0: yeah. i've already stated what will happen to the android oems i think you have the best economics perspective of how the oems are going to operate with regards to Google Android. Because I think they are all trapped. But the problem is that for those who do not successfully monetize the Android devices, like for example, Sony, HTC, LG, yeah. Yeah. they're all going to die. Because hardware yeah. commoditization yeah. is going to kill yeah. them. What is going to happen to the Android OEMs, I could say 80-20 rule, there will be the 20 who will make the revenues of the other of the 80%. And Xiaomi is probably one of them, correct? Mm.
1: And I think the most successful companies are going to start taking advantage of hardware commoditization. I spoke about how Xiaomi is using hardware as a distribution Mm. model for an e-commerce platform, right? That's right. So you could see a WeChat phone, you could see a KakaoTalk phone, companies that already have their services, they want to expand their user base in certain regions where they're having challenges and let's say you put out a cheap phone branded with with your service.
0: That feels very really sad because Facebook started this whole layering app on top of it and then basically Xiaomi, WeChat, all these they took it and then they basically turned it into something monetizable. Coming back, if it's such a situation for most of the OEMs wouldn't their escape strategy is to either leave the smartphone market or wait for something else to turn out.
1: I think that's what they're trying to do. I think that's why you see so much interest in the wearable space today. I'm not sure that the problem we solved there, but the very fact that it's a new hardware category where OEMs think they can make a profit because there's no established platform. I think that's why you're seeing so much activity in the wearable space. It's because the smartphone market is commoditized and OEMs need a new area to jump into. It looks a little bit
0: similar to a desktop operating system situation with Microsoft dominating and only one or two OEMs actually leading the profits monetization. Yeah,
1: that seems like the way it's going to go.
0: Okay, but then how about the forked? android piece like cyanogen like what amazon is doing then are they going to create a new dynamic into this android oem piece
1: i would demarket clearly differentiate between amazon and cyanogen because amazon is a clear fork the is is a clear fork because amazon's using that to push their services Synogen is a lot like Xiaomi in that it's a compatible fork. So even though it doesn't come with Google Play services, it is compatible with Google Play services. And what they're trying to do right now is be a more modular version of Xiaomi, which is to go and talk to OEMs and get their OS on top of their phone. So at least they have some temporary differentiation before Synogen can expand to multiple layers. From Google's perspective, it's fine because they don't see Synogen as being any different than a TouchWiz, right? It's just another flavor of Android as far as Google is concerned. It's interesting how that model is working out. So Cyanogen initially partnered with, with OnePlus One. That was a very, very talked about device in, in tech circles. Then all of a sudden, Cyanogen launched, uh, uh, just as OnePlus One was about to launch in India, Cyanogen uh, announced an exclusive partnership with Microman uh, to launch a Cyanogen device. And all of a sudden, OnePlus One was left in the launch and then they had to launch their own cu- custom variant, variant of Android. It, it's interesting how that partnership model is going to play out. Uh, it's still not clear, but from Google's perspective, at least it's, as long as they remain compatible with Google services, I don't think I have a problem with it.
0: And of course, the MIUI from Xiaomi is only yeah. working in China. Yeah. Anytime they step off of China, they're dead without Android, of with Google services, basically.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're still using MIUI, but they're, they're just putting Google Play services back on MIUI.
0: So they would probably also call into this prisoner's dilemma on that. Of yeah. course, yeah. you see it on From up. a
1: hardware perspective, yes. But from, again, as long as your goal is to monetize, the secondary layer of e-commerce or services then you're not really caught in the prisoner's dilemma because it's immaterial to you uh. and i think that's where xiaomi is
0: so where's google's vision of
1: android going to be that's harder to say it depends on what the interaction model evolves so in, in my opinion i think that both the mobile web and the app ecosystem are going to remain fairly important but they're both going to be used for different interaction models deeper interactions apps shorter like small touch interactions might remain on the web i think that's where uh, where it's going to stay i think google's goal is to make sure that chrome becomes more deeply embedded into the android OS. i don't think they're going to try and kill off the app ecosystem
0: what if they make the google play and the chrome web browser to be synonymous then
1: well then that plays into their hands again it's hard to visualize what that interaction model will look like today as long as uh, google play services exists and google play exists and native apps exist they have a an avenue to advertise and monetize their apps from, from the perspective of their business model and i think it still still
0: works we see where google's vision of android decides the face of all the oem unlike mm-hmm. ios where ios fit is only decided upon ios users where they pick android in each of this category and they choose which one to dominate will determine which oems will survive and which oems will die within they would try to do something that would probably not cause mutually assured destruction between them and the OEMs. What I'm trying to argue is that even if they were to shift into the web app model, they could still make Android become a web app version. It has no benefit to the OEMs at all. I mean, the OEMs basically is just a conduit. The best devices, the best marketing and the best sales would be able to go. So if they do strange things to Android, they effectively would end up screwing themselves over.
1: Yeah, that's true because the fact there is a the fact that you have another powerful ecosystem in in, in ios that, that exists right so the, it also limits what you can do in, in terms of your ecosystem if android let's say had a 99 market share and there was no other viable ecosystem at all even from a hardware perspective then uh, google could could just go crazy with android and do whatever they they wanted right but they, they also want to make sure that that ios's reach is limited so even though ios is in certain markets and weak and weaker in certain markets the, the fact that they're strong in certain markets because of subsidies make sure that everyone's on a on an equal plane in terms of price pricing right so it's very very difficult for them to to go in a very very different direction of the Android so I think whatever the transition is it's going to be fairly gradual it's uh, I don't think there's going to, going to be any drastic steps taken then you have something
0: on Facebook and Amazon I think that's the third question from Benedict Evans about the yeah. layers so, of interaction and yeah. shifting.
1: He had a great point here that Amazon and Facebook are motivated to insert themselves between users and platform owners, and that's because they want to get a share of that that engagement. And but the fact he points out that they haven't been able to and the examples he uses are facebook home and the Firephone, which are fairly high profile failures facebook i think has had some success here not with facebook home but in terms of inserting themselves between users and platform owners and that's because they've integrated facebook login in hundreds of thousands of android and ios apps and using that they started collecting usage data that's given them a base for for their targeting system for app install ads and that's why their app install ad business is, is so popular it's because they've inserted their, because facebook login has been inserted between users and android and ios apps that has facilitated and monetized app discovery that's a significant part of their revenue and i think that's more important than facebook home because uh, Facebook's mobile advertising revenue is what 67% of their overall revenue right now. So it's that business model that has been so successful and it's with the very fact that they have been very successful at this.
0: It's the same with Twitter as well, isn't it? I think Twitter app, app install is also one of their largest revenue drivers as well.
1: I think Twitter's last developer event was selling in that they just unveiled something called digits where users would be able to log in with a phone number instead of a social media account. And that was because Facebook login was clearly integrated with many more apps than Twitter login was. Therefore, Facebook has a much larger pool of usage data to base their targeting on, whereas Twitter, Twitter does not. So Twitter tends to uh, base targeting on you know keywords and things like that, which maybe um, which aren't as, uh, as efficient. And I think that's what they're trying to do with Digits is the next billion, or next two billion consumers that come online, they probably don't have access to a Facebook account they might not have ever used Google before. As long as they can log in using their phone number into whichever service whichever service they want, they collect user data on those users and target app install ads towards them.
0: It is unlikely because Facebook built up its audience through the carriers and they insert Facebook app already into those, whether it's just Android devices, or whether it's even media tech, or even the low-end devices, so it won't be an issue even for Facebook for the next billion users.
1: I think that's what Twitter is kind of going towards. Or so if the next billion users are still going to be on smartphones, in my opinion. I'm talking about the next billion users that hit the internet. So carrier partnerships, in that sense, I think, become less important because you still have app stores to go to go and get your apps as long as there is a the cheap broadband connection available. The real question is, do those users? still remain engaged with Facebook? Do they move completely to messaging apps? In case they move to messaging apps, do messaging apps own that login layer? Or do companies like Twitter have the opportunity to take over that login layer? So on that
0: question, I took a different track with you. So I went to look at what Facebook is gonna do. So my I have a hypothesis that Facebook will clone WeChat. And then it's a, spurred a couple of conversations between myself, Smitty, and John Russell from TechCrunch, over mm-hmm. where that is going to go, I think Ben Thompson was also involved in that conversation as well. Mm-hmm. The argument I think that currently Smitty is going towards is that Facebook will do everything through Facebook Messenger. They hired Dave Marcus from PayPal. They wanted to yeah. do micro yeah. transactions. Yeah. My crunch is that they should use WhatsApp because WhatsApp is already heavily used in emerging markets. So all they just need to do is to create the layer into the Facebook pages, which they already have. Because one one of the powers of WeChat is the equivalent of Facebook pages, yes. but they have yes. the notifications and the app delivery platforms that is yeah. not seen anywhere else. So yeah. Yeah. if I were Facebook, my first instinct is to create the API layer for Facebook pages. Whether it's WhatsApp or whether it's Messenger, they should just directly cre- to allow... The third-party application services to work seamlessly on on Facebook Messenger just like the way how WeChat is doing in China So that's Uh, my that's why I think the F8 conference this year in San Francisco is two days and not one
1: uh, That's very interesting and I I definitely agree on certain aspects I I have two takes here one is that first on that Facebook Messenger versus WhatsApp duality. here so I think what Facebook is doing is Facebook Messenger has a fairly large user base in in the U.S., right, and in, in mature markets, mostly. But in terms of overall numbers, they're not nearly as, as big. So I, I think what they're trying to do is experiment with the WeChat model in the U.S. before the Asian messaging apps have an opportunity to come to the U.S. to, to, to get an early mover advantage there. Because if, whether they implement the, that model in WhatsApp today or two years down the line, they're still a late mover. Whether you go to India or China or South Korea, Kakao Talk, WeChat, and Line have all, they have a major head start over there in pretty much every single monetization opportunity there. But in the US and may, maybe even some pockets of Europe, that isn't completely, that isn't necessarily true. So I think that's the reason they will be experimenting with Facebook. First
0: they can clearly go emerging markets with WhatsApp. Why wouldn't they do it then? I mean, LINE, WeChat, and Kakaotalk, they are only strong in their own respective geographies. As in, if yeah, you draw out the map, based on what Benjov talks about, the clash of civilizations, yeah. WhatsApp yeah. is clearly taking Middle East, Southeast Asia, and yeah. the rest of the world, right? Wouldn't it be to their benefit... To do a WeChat first in those countries.
1: When you look at those Asian countries, right? So you said each one of those apps are strong in, in specific countries, but there usually is an established market leader in in many of those countries. Mm. And one of the, I think one of the things Facebook is very wary of at this point is is going too far on WhatsApp and doing something that would slow WhatsApp user growth. I think they're very keen on WhatsApp hitting about a user base of one billion or, or something like that. And then implementing those users and you know taking their full force into those other markets dominated by WeChat, uh, LINE etc.
0: Mm.
1: But I'll reverse the argument back on you then. The microtransaction model has never worked in
0: US and Europe. I mean they only work in Asian countries because the Asians were the first to made it. So if Messenger app, the WeChat version of Messenger app fails, it doesn't say anything about Facebook. It's just basically the users Profiles are very different.
1: We are we're also dealing with a very different inter- interaction model here, right? So we've never had micro uh, micro payments in the U.S. in a model where you've got a device that you interact with frequently in your pocket. In-app purchases, to me, are a micro payments model, right? And in-app purchases work very, very well in the U.S. and and Europe. Uh, it's too early to say that micro payments were, are not going to be successful in this model. The the second thing is that I, I think that WeChat mo- uh, model is really compelling, except for one part. Which is, right now, WeChat, because they had the benefit of starting fresh, they do a lot of different things, right? So They do e-commerce, they do a mobile gaming platform, and they do uh, brand messaging on that Facebook page equivalent thing. For Facebook, mobile payments and brand pages are gonna be the two biggest priorities. I am not sure if Facebook is gonna be as interested in e-commerce because they're not, it's not something they're as familiar with from a business model perspective.
0: Wouldn't you see them allying with Amazon? given that they have a common enemy
1: but then amazon uh, let's say from amazon's perspective right why would they want to give up control of their front end that's That's, true that leads to a situation where amazon gets commoditized and is seen (laughs) as just another e-commerce company and that's probably the worst possible thing for amazon to. yeah so that
0: that possibility is also eliminated as a result of our conversation okay yeah Sorry, you had a second point after that. So I've just interrupted you just now. So ah, that, where that, was that? It? That yeah. was
1: the second point. That oh, was that the was end. the second but, point. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, so there, So we were all leading it up to it. Then the wearables part, you have
1: a piece as well. Benedict's conclusion here is that wearables are endpoints for cloud services and watches will largely be used for messaging and, and notification. That is partly true, but it also creates another problem. So wearables are certainly meant for endpoints for cloud services because you're not going to have full-fledged apps, you're not going to be playing Angry Birds on your wristwatch. That's not, the interaction model just does not work. But it's still unclear how mass market mainstream users use the, will use this technology, right? So a notification uh, and a messaging device are pretty useful benefits for you and me and Benedict and Ben Thompson and all of us because we write about tech for a living. So our experience isn't really representative of what a mass market user finds useful. So when you look at the diffusion of innovation, so there there is a a chart that that Gordon merged on, right? So you have innovators and early adopters right at the beginning, where customers want technology and performance. That's all. Majority of the market are the early majority, the late, and the late majority. And these customers, they want solutions and they want convenience. They don't really care whether it's a new technology or it's an old technology, they just have a problem they want to solve. And right now, those problems are still unclear. And this is where app developers come in. So this is where I'm a little concerned about the whole uh, luxury product angle. Because the moment you have a, a phone as a, a, a you're, you're selling a device as a luxury product, you have consumers who are buying the, these devices as a luxury product. You're, they're not buying these devices as a computing product. And if the uh, the largest base of your uh, the largest proportion of your user base is buying this as a luxury product, app de- do app developers have a motivation to build, to build apps. Really, the answer is, is yes. I have
0: a case study for that. This. Okay. Vertu. Vertu is using Android now, so I mean, true, they, right? under, underlying they are not a luxury smartphone brand. They are underlying a concept. So that's true. if Apple that's wants true. to go into that model, then they have to have developers working on that concept layer, and it's going to be very selective. And very expensive
1: okay if it again if it's not a mass-market product I agree with you Mm. so my only contention with with variables is I have a really hard time looking at the current iteration of variables as mass-market product I'm trying to find a way in which that that gap gets bridged, and I have a hard time doing that but if it's a niche product for a luxury audience then yes I agree with you
0: So, so the luxury I think is is resolved only for Apple Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, because I think none of Samsung gear or yeah, whoever's absolutely. gear is not gonna work. Okay, even yeah. if Xiaomi yeah. would have come up with their own, uh, yeah, Xiaomi it watch, it's yeah. not gonna be a luxury product. So, yeah. so Apple will take that that space as usual. But dollars no, uh, like watches. Okay. So like the that mass that. market, I think, what you're arguing is that there's a limitation of it only being a messaging and a notification system, yeah. and nothing else. Mm-hmm. So it relies on crowdsourcing the third-party app developers. To get something that is workable,
1: that is true, and that's that's what I'm struggling to see. It's obviously very difficult at this point to envision what those use cases are going to be. So everyone talks about uh, wristwatches spawning, you know, new age communication platforms or new age messaging platforms. One of the exam, one of the examples used is yo, where it's a simple one touch. That's that's one possibility, and but we need to we need to see how that's going to scale to a to a mass market user base right and at this point again it's very very difficult to to envision that but when i when i when i imagine the next big big platform right to me when i look at key success factors for 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 the next big platform what i normally need to see is devices that are that a present very large disadvantages to the existing category of devices but also very significant advantages that uh, or benefits that could never be accomplished with the current category for example uh, a smartphone or, or or a tablet were Uh, were disruptive to computing because even though you couldn't really do heavy productivity work or you know build large excel sheets or anything like that you carried it around with you everywhere so that was the primary benefit and that's something you could not do with a laptop or or a pc and you could look at it and you could look at your device constantly so when i look at the transition from smartphones to smartwatches, i don't quite see the same delta in benefits but when you look at devices like oculus that's where you could see maybe some potential there but that's not within the next five to ten years. I think that's going to take a, a long time to play out because that's a much more fundamental change to the basic touch-based interaction model.
0: There is one more market I thought would be interesting. I was looking at uh, robotics in Japan, and mm-hmm. SoftBank's uh, Pepper, two thousand yeah. dollar robot. Yeah. I think the robotics, the personal robotics space, will be interesting. It's almost yeah, like yeah. having a new personal computer, but it's a Personal computer that allows you to do things for you, and you can see yes. the amount of applications that robots can do for you.
1: actually, yeah, that's very that's very interesting. Uh, because up till till date, robotics have always been limited by the fact that a technology wasn't there yet, and second, uh, it it was just very very expensive.
0: Yes, but, with but over deep time learning, as they become cheaper, yeah,
1: yeah over time as, as they become cheaper, uh, that could definitely be. Uh, I think in the next five years, that that could be another area that could. Uh, a revolution.
0: You know what's going to happen? Japan is going to have the technology, but it's going to be an American company that's just going to make it so like Apple and become that mm-hmm. robotics company. And, and virtually all the work that I has been done in Asia is gone.
1: And then uh, you might still have robotic <laughs> services over the top of it, right? And that's when Asia comes back in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a pretty good way for us to
0: end this. So... Samir, as per normal, where, where do our audience find you? I think we, I should just get you like maybe once a month and then we just have this kind of roundtable kind of conversations while I spend more, uh, my other time with my other guests to talk about Asia in deep dive. <laughs> yeah,
1: that, that, that would be very interesting. Uh, you can find me at on my blog. I, I write at tech-thoughts.net or on Twitter on samir one 17 And uh, I, I typically... Uh, I haven't had a whole lot of time to, to write since the move, but my goal is to still keep writing at least once a week. Okay. So you can do a podcast once a month, basically. Yeah, I, I should be able to. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we will try. We'll do a January and then we'll do a February and then we'll follow up on the cross <laughs> and see what's going on on that. I uh, Okay. Y'all can find me at com or at bleongcw. And now you don't. You can type analyzeasia.com and you will get to the, our Domains. i just got the domain yesterday actually so yeah yeah and we will have at analyze asia and of course we look forward to more feedback we are now available in stitcher soundcloud itunes and of course we definitely would like to have your feedback samir thanks again for coming on the show
1: thanks bernard to be here